Hey, Freddie. Hey, Georgie. Hi. Do you know where I'm going tomorrow? Montreal. Montreal. Yes. And you know why I'm going to Montreal? Yeah. No. No. <laughs> huh? I'm going for a conference. Do you know where the conference is? No. No. What is a conference? Conference. A conference. A conference oh. Well, for Mama's work, a conference mm-hmm. is where people come and present their mm-hmm. research. They have presentations. Yeah. Um, they talk about their work. There's also a few receptions where... <laughs> Why are you humming? It's not interesting. <laughs> this is Academic Aunties. I'm Dr. Ethel Tungohan, an Associate Professor of Politics at York University. And joining me today is producer extraordinaire Dr. Nisha Nath, who is an Assistant Professor of Equity Studies at Athabasca University. Hi, Auntie Nisha. Hi, Ethel. How are you? I'm good. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us on this creative um, episode of Academic Aunties, where I get to relive different moments of me attending the American Political Science Association Conference, which was held in Montreal mid-September. Ethel, let me just say, I loved this exchange with your daughters and then <laughs> your, your eldest daughters. Like, she asked this most profound question, like, what is a conference? And I think that if there is, you know, there's many things that your APSA diaries really illuminate, but if there's one thing that it does is It shows us how we can think about conferences in multiple ways. And I think that becomes so important, especially for racialized and first-gen scholars um, to have those different ideas of conferences. Thank you for saying that. It was a little bit weird taping the different segments. It was also interesting, right? My perspectives now are different from my perspectives right when I was in the moment, if that makes sense. But anyway, let's have a listen, starting with my journey to actually get to the conference. I am currently sitting in my seat on the train going from Toronto to Montreal. Um, (laughs) It was a pretty eventful trip going from my house to the train station. My train was supposed to leave at six. There was a lot of traffic, my Uber driver got lost. And so what ended up happening was I got to the train station with basically eight minutes to spare before my train left. I jumped out of the Uber. I went into the back of the Uber to try to get my bag from the trunk of the car and the trunk hit me. So my forehead ended up bleeding. Um, I was running to the gate, not really sure uh, what was happening until I saw a lot of people kind of gaping at me. And the Via Real people who were super nice kind of stopped me and said, whoa, 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 what's going on? You should stay here. You should stay here. Um, And they ended up um, delaying the train a little bit uh, because they were super worried about me coming on. Um, There were people who uh, assisted with my bags. Everyone was really nice. They made sure that my wound was clean. um, And they did kind of tell me that um, I needed to be careful and that I should try to see a doctor tomorrow because my wound is so deep that I might need stitches. So, I don't know, I'm just kind of shaking my head and laughing. I really hope this doesn't foreshadow the conference to come. So I'm just gonna turn this off. I'm gonna sit down and just take a few deep breaths because this was, this was pretty intense. Um, what an intense start to APSA. I am sitting in my hotel room right now. I am relieved and happy to share that nothing else happened after the chaos that transpired earlier. I really hope that that's the most exciting thing that'll happen to me in this conference. Uh, So I checked in, um, I found a package left by my friend Afsun with band-aids and and other things that'll allow me to take care of my wound. Thank you so much, Afsun, for this. Um, And what I'm doing right now is I'm having a look at the conference program. Um, The American Political Science Association is an enormous conference. There are about 1,200 
200 events and panels, as well as 200 virtual sessions. Uh, and so it's it's big. It's really hard to navigate. Uh, so what I'm doing right now is jotting down where I'm supposed to be for the panels where I'll be presenting. And I'm also looking at the program to kind of zero in on events and on panels that earlier in my career, I would try to pack my schedule, right? I try to make sure that I get the most out of my conference by going to panel after panel, event after event. But, you know, right now I realize that that piece is unsustainable. Um, you know, I just don't think that, you know, trying to cram in as many things as possible in my schedule will be will be something that will work for me. So what I'm doing right now is kind of being a little bit more calm about you know, how the next few days will proceed. And I think for me, what I'm going to do for this conference is I just really want to maintain relationships, as my friend Jess would say, right? So I'm also planning um, a few coffee dates, a few lunch dates, a few drinks dates uh, with friends, with collaborators, and with people who I like and who I haven't seen um, in the last few years. Um, so having kind of this, this ethos of building relationships and reconnecting with people in mind makes apps less daunting for me. So that's one of my strategies. Okay. I did want to ask you about the lead up to leaving for the conference um, and then what that can look like and feel like. Because for me, and I know we're very, very different. I'm a very intense introvert. You are a beautifully open, um, <laughs> extroverted person. So we're like, but really, we are, right? <laughs> uh, but when you were describing this trip to the train station and then cutting your head and then, you know, what? not noticing until the Via Rail folk stopped you. And I have a picture, right, of what that actually looked like. So it's even more shocking. Um, <laughs> it made me think of, like, the heightened state in which we go to conferences, right? I feel like the moment I was in when I was rushing to get my train and then I got into the accident, I feel like that is a more heightened version of what we all have to go through in preparation for conferences. Um, and Nisha, you describe yourself as an introvert and I am an extrovert. And even as an extrovert, I find conferences really difficult. And so there's a degree of mental preparation for it. You know, we all put on a conference persona, right? Um, you know, real life Ethel is not nearly as gregarious and on the point as conference Ethel. And so you kind of have to, to act <laughs> in a different way, in a more heightened way, at least the way I conference. Because I feel like when you conference, um, and now I'm deliberately using it as a verb, when you conference, you're under scrutiny, not just when you're presenting your paper, but also in all of your different interactions. So in, in that clip, I mean, sure, I needed to kind of take a few breaths because my head was bleeding, but also because I needed to just kind of use that time on the train to kind of exhale and be like, okay, I'm getting to APSA, you know, let's mentally prepare for this. And I'm wondering, Nisha, do you also have a conference persona? For sure. So I would say that in part, that conference persona is like a persona that can help insulate kind of how you weather a conference. And I mean, as an introvert, and I'm sure lots of listeners, you know, there'll be many that are like you, many that are like me. Having a persona when interacting with people is not abnormal, right? Like that is kind of how we function as introverts in the world. But I think I do have not necessarily a heightened version of me, but an on version of mm. me, which can also end up being uh, so depleting and so exhausting that at any moment in a conference, it can just turn on a dime and I can be intensely reclusive as well. I'm also curious about another thing. Um, tell me about your hotel room. And I don't mean like what it looked like, but <laughs> I mean, but like, and I'll tell you this story too. You have this moment in your diaries that you, you talk about sitting in your hotel room and you you start to plan this real like how mm. you're going to navigate this really huge conference, right? And so for me as an introvert, the hotel room has always been a really huge part of my conference experience because it's the place where I can retreat to and and kind of be safe. 
Um, but I will tell you that when I was a grad student, um, mm. there was a wonderful faculty member who asked me to be on a panel. It was for uh, a conference in San Francisco, and it was WPSA, Western mm-hmm. Political Science Association. Yes. And so I went. I was so happy. I went, but as like a singular grad student with no one there. And it was wonderful yet horrible, right? In terms of feeling really uncomfortable, feeling super alienated. You know, there was a certain point where I just stopped going to the conference because I felt so ill at ease and I just walked around the city. So at one point I just stopped. I I stayed in my hotel room or went walking around the city. I put my do not disturb thing on the <laughs> on the door. People would come knocking at my door, of course. Didn't answer. The the front desk called me several times. Didn't answer. What? Finally, they were calling me so incessantly because this was for days. And they were like, what's wrong? Are you okay? Keisha. Like they thought I had died in there. Oh, no. So, but I mean, it. You know, and, you know, since then, I've kind of changed how I think about conferences, prepare conferences. I just wanted to say that you're not the only one who feels alienated when it comes to going to huge conferences. I think it's always super daunting to enter a space where you don't necessarily know people. um, And you just feel as you're walking into the conference hall and everyone seems to be kind of meeting up with each other, greeting each other. It's always really weird, right? And so I just kind of wanted to affirm what you said. Um, and also how, um, you know, it's 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 so odd, right? Like, you know, when you don't have that community or you don't even have that kind of person who can kind of introduce you to other people, how can you kind of navigate the conference? So, you know, shout out to, uh, you know, our previous episode on conference buddies um, in in academic antis. That's why I think it's important to have a conference buddy. Um, in terms of hotel rooms and sacred spaces, um, I think honestly, as a faculty member, um, I have um, tremendous privilege in being able to just rent a hotel room for the conference, right? When I was a grad student, I would bunk with other grad students um, in, in a hostel or or a shared apartment or even in a hotel room, right? So the, this is privilege I don't take for granted. And I think, you know, the hotel room as a sacred space is so important because I think, you know, for me, as you'll soon find out as we play the other clip, being able to retreat to a space where you don't see other conference people and where you can just kind of relax and just not think about the conference um, is so crucial to ensuring your mental well-being during the conference itself. So let's have a listen. Oh boy, I am sitting in my hotel room at 2.31 p.m. I just got here uh, after what seems like several hours of conferencing. Um, I'm feeling so tired, so drained, so exhausted, and also so disillusioned. (laughs) (laughs) with academia. Um, But let's backtrack for a sec. Uh, My day started at 7 a.m. because my panel was scheduled for 8 a.m. I had to rush out of the door, run to the registration booth, get my name tag, um, and then find the room where my panel was located. It was pretty daunting to find my room, but you know, I did I did find it, so that went well. The first panel I went to was really good. It was a panel that I curated. I invited uh, collaborators, friends, uh, people whose work I didn't know that much about, but wanted, but I wanted to know more about it uh, to be part of this panel. And it was truly a generative discussion. So that was that was really powerful. After that, I attended another fantastic panel again. With, with researchers whose work I really admired. And I thought it was very generative and I thought the discussions and the conversations were quite powerful. Um, and then um, after that panel, it was my turn to, to present my paper. And listeners, man, oh man, the discussant was brutal. I just, I don't know. Um, the papers themselves were fantastic, but it was clear that the discussant dismissed you know, the papers and basically decided to give comments, um, you know, 
based on how he would have written the paper, right? So rather than taking the papers as given, he decided to kind of give critiques that were grounded in his own perception of how he would have done the work. And it's really an out-of-body experience sometimes um, when you're <laughs> at a panel and you're kind of receiving this scathing commentary, right? Because you're kind of you're nodding there at the podium, taking notes as someone's completely eviscerating you. Uh, you want to kind of intervene, but you know that that won't do any good uh, because you're not going to change anyone's minds, and so. It was bizarre, right? Like, you know, we go to these conferences hoping for a fruitful exchange, but, you know, there are instances such as, you know, what just happened to me where it, it it's it's very discouraging to, to just be in a space where you realize that um, people um, are reading your work uh, in the most ungenerous manner possible and in a manner that makes you think, ugh, why am I in academia? So that's the mental state I'm in right now. Um, I um, am tired as well, though. So um, let's kind of just <laughs> emphasize that. So maybe maybe I'm reacting uh, too strongly to what happened. But, um, you know, right now I just figured I need to just eat my bagel. I need to relax. I need to take a break from APSA. And, you know, maybe I'll go to another panel. Maybe I'll just sleep and relax. Maybe I'll take a walk. Um, and, you know, maybe I'll just maybe I'll just do my own work. Right. Um, so, yeah, that's where I am right now. It is now four o'clock. I popped into the group chat with Nisha, Shaisa and Miriam um, and I, you know, feel much better. Right. Um, one of the good things about um, having my anti network uh, is that they can help me kind of decompress and calm down and figure out, um, you know, what to do with myself after a really, a really unsettling experience. Um, and that's one thing I kind of wanted to add uh, in my in my entry now. Um, it's super important when you have a conference that you line up your friends to debrief with. And you can debrief in person, over drinks, or debrief virtually as well. So shout out to the Anti Network for making me feel better after my scathing experience um, in my last panel. It is 10.22 p.m. I am back after having a fabulous, heartwarming, um, fun, joyful dinner with the women of color in comparative politics people. Um, it was really, it was good to just check in about um, the last panel <laughs> uh, that we all participated in um, and also to talk about our experiences at APSA and just share stories about, you know, political science and our time in academia. But beyond that, uh, to just check in, touch base and plan for different initiatives. Um, and honestly, you know, this is why conferences can be fun. In fact, these are the best parts of conferences. I would almost say that it's not about the conference panels per se, but what comes after conferences, i.e. Um, the relationship building that I think makes these conferences worthwhile. And, you know, I've gone to a few virtual conferences and I like them, I think, for accessibility reasons. Uh, they they actually have um, a lot of benefits. And I think, you know, associations need to consider retaining at least some sort of hybrid model. But, you know, hanging out and having dinner with uh, the women of color uh, in comparative politics folks really made me remember how much fun <laughs> in person in-person conferences are. It's so great to be in spaces where you can just laugh and talk and rehash the day. So yeah, I'm I'm in a really good space. Um, and ooh, um, I'm also going to go back out again. I just got 
back to my hotel room because another friend uh, just messaged me and said that they are having drinks um, at a bar about 10 minutes away. So I'm going to go back out. Um, and yeah, no, I'm, I'm happy. Um, I'm in a much better mental state compared to how I was um, a few hours ago. So here's to friendship. Here's to here's to community and uh, here's to having fun. Yeah. It is midnight. I just got back to my hotel room after having drinks with two lovely friends who I haven't seen since 2019. And it was it was really nice. Um, it was it was lovely catching up um, and talking about, you know, what our lives are like now. <laughs> and I must say, one of the good things about conferences is that it gives us the opportunity to have reunions with people who who were in different parts of the world. Um, and, you know, as I said before, um, usually what happens after panels are over is more important than the panels themselves. At least that's the case for me. And I'm happy that today is ending on, on a happy note. Let me ask you or tell you that when you describe this experience with the discussant, as you know, I felt for you intensely, especially as you're just sharing your disillusionment, right, with the discipline. And as you described this moment where you're nodding at the, the podium while someone is eviscerating you and you have to maintain your composure, right? I feel like academia trains us to be the smartest person in the room, right? Mm. Where... I mean, it starts with the grad the grad school seminar, but it also extends beyond that, right? Even in undergrad where, you know, in classrooms, the people who get rewarded are the ones who can kind of raise their hands the most and offer the most insights and in so doing show why other people's insights aren't necessarily as good, right? So that kind of competitive, individualistic way of operating is entrenched and is in the very waters of academia. Uh, so, you know, you enter the conference, right? And you enter kind of this academic, model of being the smartest person in the room. I think that's what I see in a lot of in a lot of panels, right? In fact, I would argue that although things are changing now, little by little, I've seen more panels where the discussant wasn't necessarily as destructive as my discussant was, but they're still kind of a desire to prove that their comments are, are the best set of comments ever, right? Do you know what I mean? And so even the act of commenting, the act of discussing, which is about kind of cheerleading and, and, and excavating, you know, great arguments. It, it's not about that. It's now about kind of showing which arguments are deficient and therefore why the discussant knows more. Even in like comments that aren't, as I said, as destructive as, as the ones that I experienced at APSA, right? So I think for me... You know, how can we unlearn uh, these 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 desires to be the smartest person in the room? How can we create conference spaces that are more generous, that can actually further dialogue, that can actually build in relationality where, you know, we see ourselves as co-producers of knowledge and we see ourselves as being enmeshed in this like relationship where we're all working together collectively? I mean, it makes so much sense because I think so many of us share that experience of having Thing. Um, not just ungenerous, but like really virulent attacks, right? And who feels authorized to attack who and on what basis um, in those conference spaces, as I well know as well. Um, I'm, I'm curious, though, um, because I've seen you be a discussant, and it's not just you know, vague things that you are uh, alluding to. You do it in practice. So I, I'm curious how you do this in practice to be such a generative um, discussant. I mean, I think I do it 
because I've seen you be a discussant too. And I've seen, <laughs> I've seen generous people be discussants as well. I've seen Joyce be a discussant, Joyce Green be a discussant. I've seen Rita Damoon be a discussant. I've seen Yasmin be a discussant. So you model yourself after uh, the kind hearted and supportive people and brilliant people that you've witnessed in these spaces as well. Right. And Bonnie McElhenney, actually, she was one of my best discussants ever where um, she's a professor of anthropology at U of T. And uh, she was able to kind of weave together connections across four seemingly different papers and also kind of add in nuggets of wisdom and nuggets for future research and future questioning that I still think about today. Like she she kind of started in a lyrical way. Uh, it's a little bit hard to describe. Um, but I will say that, you know, I'm learning all of these norms, which is that, you know, you want to show that you're the smartest person in the room. That takes a lot of work, too. And quite frankly, you know, it's 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 a work in progress. Right. Um, and I also will say that, you know, it's not like, you know, I'm all nicey, nicey and community oriented. Right. Like I feel like, you know, I have been a discussant in spaces where I feel that. You know, certain papers have rendered invisible whole swaths of literature. Uh, so that's where I feel that I can be a little bit more pointed in my critiques, right? Um, so I guess it's context specific as well. It's not like this relational mindset runs through all the time. It depends on the context and it depends on whether the audience you feel would be appreciative of the effort that you're putting in, right? Uh -huh. No, that may, I mean, that makes sense. And that was, you know, part of the question I wanted to ask you too, right? Is that there are moments in these conferences where um, work is being presented that is, is just harmful, right? And so, you know, there, there, there is a moment where if one is a discussant that one has to, to name that, um, but also, you know, balanced against that is like the political way in which it becomes acceptable to question the legitimacy of only certain kinds of scholars, right? Um, or only certain kinds kinds of work. Um, you know, the other thing that we talked about after you shared what happened with this discussant is, you know, how to prepare, right? And there's a couple of ways to think about this, right? Because, you know, first of all, let's just say it's really messed up, right? That some of us have to go in prepared to be delegitimized, right? That That's messed up. <laughs> but, you know, in those moments, we often kick ourselves for not knowing how to respond or for not responding at all. Um, and, you know, I can say as a woman of color, and you share this experience with me, that this happens often in different contexts, right? Where you were experiencing racist misogyny and you're like, okay, is this really happening? Uh, I, you know, and you only process it afterwards. So I'm wondering, are there ways to prepare how to respond to these kind of patterned assaults? Or is that unfair to expect of ourselves? Oh, Nisha, I mean, the way you described it, right, patterned assaults. I mean, I think it's so sad that there are some some folks who do feel uh, that attending conferences makes them more susceptible to these, right? And uh, I think for me, and this is probably going into the other segment that I am really super jazzed about you hearing, I've curated my conference experience so much that this experience of being brutalized by a discussant came as a shock. I did not prepare for this because I have learned uh, through personal experience that it's really important to make sure that the panels I agree to be on, that the discussants I agree to engage with, none of this happens unexpectedly, i.e. I only ever participate in conferences now where I know the actors involved and I can build the panels and I can build the workshops, right? Um, mm. And that that's because I'm a little bit more senior and I know enough people so I can kind of build these panels and create these panels to kind of curate my conference experience, right? But yeah, is it fair to kind of expect people to be part of uh, these spaces that are violent and to prepare for these spaces? I'm not sure. I mean, I think, you know, 
I think it speaks to the messed up dynamics that we're we're we've gotten used to that even having to prepare for this and the extra labor of having to do so. I think that that's I think that's that, that that's completely unfair. I don't think that I, like it's it's necessary, but I think it's an indictment of of the discipline as a whole that that becomes necessary. Can we talk about um, what else your APSA diaries reveal about community and relationships? A hundred percent. Let's listen to the next set of diaries and we'll chat, Nisha. I am sitting at the corner of the convention center um, holding coffees with my friend Rachel, who is here right now. And I'll let Rachel introduce herself. I'm Rachel. I am um, an assistant professor in women, gender, and sexuality studies. And I'm <clears throat> here at APSA for, <laughs> let's see, this is probably, I don't know, my seventh APSA conference or something. Awesome. And so, um, you know, as as I mentioned yesterday, I think one of the things that kind of redeems conferences for me are coffee dates. And Rachel and I have been like conference buddies for, for tw- gosh, like 10 years. 10 years. Um, So I thought, you know, I would just check in with Rachel and, um, you know, ask her, like, how has APSA been going? You know, this year it's been going freaking great, (laughs) which I never thought like APSA freaking great would necessarily go together. But I've really learned for sanity, peace of mind, mental health, how to heavily curate my conference experience. I think the first time I went to APSA, which was when I think I wrote you a nerdy email, like, <laughs> dear Dr. Tungohan, we both work on this. Would you like to meet? And you're like, you can call me Ethel. <clears throat> Weird, weirdo. <laughs> Um, But so I think from that time where I tried to go to everything and be everything and feel immense, understandable pressure to network and talk to people, you know, I was on the job market then. And um, granted, having the privilege of a job changes it significantly, but I think taking huge breaks for me is really important. Going to specific panels, usually what I'll do is go to honestly three panels a day and of different kinds and um, have specific coffee get-togethers with life-giving people such as present company that um, have a similar orientation toward APSA and trying to make your own mini conference in that space and be in a space where you're not trying to fit into other people's vision of political science or other people's molds and I think that's been um, a really big experience a really big kind of life-changing thing and also taking time to do some do fun stuff in whatever city <laughs> it's in because because um, we're full people it is 12 12 um and i'm with my friends jessica and janice at a vietnamese restaurant in chinatown um and i'll let um i'll let jessica and then janice introduce themselves i'm jessica and i'm an assistant professor at the university of amsterdam Hi, I'm Janice, also Yixun Tian. I'm an assistant professor at the National Zhengzhou University in Taiwan. So we were grad school buddies, um, or now I guess we're professor buddies, which is really, really cool. Um, and uh, Jess actually um, flew in from the Netherlands, and Janice flew in from Taiwan. And obviously, I'm from Toronto, and this has been a fantastic mini reunion. We're just about to have lunch right now. But um, I want to ask my friends, how is your APSA going? I think it's going really well. Um, I think one of the best things is seeing people that you went to grad school with and and finally being able to see them after three years. I think many of us have not seen each other for three years. And because it's been in Montreal um, and we went to, we did our PhDs at the University of Toronto, um, a lot of people have returned. So it's just been really nice to see everyone. I like. I want to echo Jessie, Jessica about the point. I love to see all the good old friends back in graduate school and now become professors. And but for me, and the conference has been going very well. I um, I just finished my presentation this morning. It went well, although I'm terribly jet lagged, but I managed to survive. Um, and I also enjoyed all the conferences after all the professional conversations after my six month maternity leave. And now back to the like real business. <laughs> feeling refreshing by the conversations and during the conference so far. Yeah. 
So I'll just ask Janice this because you mentioned just this is your first conference after parental leave, right? Yeah. How does it feel to have like real conversations again? <laughs> yeah, it is interesting because at in the past, we have like virtual conferences, and there's always a delay because the internet connections and you know like the it's weird pause. But now in the real face-to-face conversation, it feels very different. And also, I don't know, it's more intimate. You, you can see the facial reactions when they actually see your points, whether you see they are convinced or not. And I really enjoy that. And after the after you know facing your baby, changing their diapers for six <laughs> months, I I am dying for some real. In uh, face-to-face interactions with other adults. <laughs> that's that's awesome. And I'll just kind of end on this note. Um, when Jess and I were kind of walking and talking about this, Jess said that she um, feels um, that she's conferencing a little bit differently now that she has a job. Do you want to like talk to us a little bit about that? Well, the last APSA I was at was 2019, and I was still very much on the job market. And so there was a lot of focus on actually um, meeting new people, doing a lot, uh, cultivating new um, contacts. But for this conference, I think I'm what I'm trying to do is maintaining uh, relationships and networks, and that is really being rewarding at this stage of my career. I'm standing here at the APSA Book Fair at McGill Queens University Press, where uh, myself and my co-authors, Mireya and Yasmin, have a book under contract. And I'm with the lovely Emily Andrew, who is our editor. Um, And I will just ask Emily, um, how has your APSA been going? It's been going great. I get to meet with a lot of interesting young scholars. I get to socialize with old friends. I really enjoy it. Amazing. And so for our first gen listeners who really don't understand the book fair or more specifically don't understand what they're supposed to do when they see editors in in, in the book fair, Emily, can you shed some insights on what, what your role is here uh, at the conference? Sure. My role is to talk to you about your work, what you find interesting about it, and to see whether there's common ground in terms of me finding it interesting as well. Um, You need to be able to come into the book fair with a very quick sort of two or three sentence summary of your research. And um, then you need to just be as engaging and approachable as you can and be prepared to to answer follow-up questions. And um, one last question. What will you tell our listeners who were really afraid of talking to editors? Because I know that, speaking for myself as well, when I first started going to conferences, I just didn't want to be a nuisance and I didn't want to approach editors thinking that, well, I also had imposter syndrome, right? But I didn't want them to think, oh, this is these ideas are just half-baked. Like, what would you say to listeners with that mindset? That's such a great question. So I would say the best thing you can do is be in touch with editors before the conference. Send a very quick email saying, hi, my name is fill in the blank. My research subject is this. I see you've recently published and then name a book they've published. This excited me very much. And I'd like to meet with you at APSA. And that way you've already laid the groundwork. They know to expect you. And uh, yeah, it's less nerve wracking that way. Amazing. Thank you, Emily. So I'm here um, at the corner of a restaurant um, with Stephanie and Fiona. We just had a fantastic dinner, a few drinks, so I'm a little bit buzzed. But um, uh, yeah, we're just standing here and I'm going to let uh, Fiona and Stephanie introduce themselves and I'm going to ask a few questions. Hi, I'm Fiona McDonald. I'm an assistant professor at the University of Northern British Columbia in the political science department. And uh, thank you, Ethel. Okay. And Stephanie? Hi, I'm Stephanie Patterson. I'm a professor of political science at Concordia University in Montreal. And thank you, Ethel. So we are here because we just had a fantastic panel, my last panel for APSA, woohoo, where we were talking about feministing and political science, uh, which is actually a panel about our book, but it ended up being this lovely space where we talked about academia and things like that. And one of the things we talked about was finding joy. Um, so I guess my only question to all, to both of you is, why is it important to cultivate like spaces like this where we're having dinner and drinks and just hanging out? Why is that important? Why is it important to organize fun events in the midst of conferencing? 
I think it's important because, as many of us know firsthand, academia can be a very isolating place full of doubt and anxiety and self-blame. And we need to find a way to build relationships and solidarities and um, to support each other and to, to have some fun, to have uh, a few jokes, uh, to be able to share experiences in a variety of ways. And that um, has been what has kept me in academia. I love it. I love it. Stephanie? Yep. A hundred percent. I don't have anything to add to that except to elaborate on this element of joy and relationship building. Like Ethel, our conversation about trashy novels (laughs) is going to be the takeaway for me from the conference, right? Like just, you know, connecting with people on a different level than you do typically in academic spaces. And and it's, it's all of that building community relationships and finding those safe spaces. It is 11.45 p.m., I just got back to my hotel after a long day. Uh, Today was partially about having coffee dates and lunch dates and another coffee date with friends and colleagues and collaborators who I haven't seen in a while. Um, And it was also about, you know, presenting um, in two back-to-back panels, uh, which actually was pretty powerful Uh, in contrast to one of my panels in day one. uh, The panel, well, both panels that I was part of had uplifting conversations that allowed me to really think about the methods that I was using in my work, the purpose of my work, strategies for ensuring um, greater community engagement and greater community accountability in my work. Um, And... In these panels, because they were consciously curated uh, to ensure that the people who were part of the panel and the people who were discussing people's feed, uh, papers on the panel were 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 familiar with with the work and with the intentions behind the work, um, because it was that curated, we actually we we actually had a productive conversation. So this. This reminds me of what conferences should be about. It's about intellectual exchange. It's, it's about affirming, uh, you know, the value of your work. And it's about community building. Um, so that was great. Um, and I also think, you know, as I mentioned yesterday, what happens after the panels are also so important. So I just I also had this beautiful <laughs> dinner and drinks uh, with with uh, a group of people who who are part of this this book that I'm co-editing and we also had uh, two of our fellow editors there as well and that was a lot of fun and there was a lot of laughter a lot of sniggering a lot of kind of joking about like the toxicity of the profession but you know in a way that kind of you know highlights Regalo's humor about this and I think it's important to kind of recognize that building this type of community um, makes academia more bearable and also more fun. And I think one of the highlights of today uh, was also kind of talking about non-academic stuff, right? So um, me and a friend, um, a fellow editor, (laughs) for this book project we're laughing about guilty pleasures and we just had a silly and somewhat I don't know somewhat funny conversation about um the novels that we were reading and America's Next Top Model and and it was just fun so I don't know I think cultivating these friendships and maintaining these relationships I think is what is what conferences for me are ultimately about. I am now back in Toronto. I'm in the car with my partner and my daughter, Freddie. Say hi, Freddie. Hi. And I just finished APSA. Woohoo! 
Uh, today, day three was pretty good. I met up with, with a few people and we just chatted about our research, our plans for this uh, professional association that I'm part of. So it was good. So overall, um, you know, APSA, I would say if I were to give it a grade, I probably had like um, a B minus. <laughs> um, yeah, but you know, I'm really happy to be back in Toronto. I mean, these conferences are so draining, uh, but I feel like I did everything that um, I wanted to do at the conference. Although I'm still really pissed off at that asshole discussion, but meh, whatever, life happens. Okay, over and up. I think that what I loved so much about what you shared with all of us um, in your reflections is that you're not really surrendering the conference to the most awful dimension um, of the conference. And you're like focusing on building community, on on relationship building, um, on an injection of joy. Like I loved hearing your laughter <laughs> um, <laughs> during that. Fun, socializing, that's, that's really um, beautiful. Um, so when I was listening to you, one thing, a phrase came to mind for me, and it means something to me, but I'm curious what it might mean to you. Is like with conferences, we have an opportunity to collectivize our experience. What was so beautiful about APSA was being in community and rebuilding relationships I've already had. And, you know, I didn't get a chance to really talk to new people who, you know, uh, inter like in, in, in depth, I mean, um, because I'm sure there are others whose work and whose approach to political science I would resonate with. But I think um, to collectivize the conference experience is to understand that the only way I can survive in the academy is in community. And I chose hmm. the conference uh, to do that, right? In fact, that was my agenda. I was completely caught off guard by that awful moment. And in fact, you know, it was only after um, decompressing with you in the group chat, but also after that beautiful dinner I went on with with some folks uh, immediately after, like that, that evening, uh, where I was like, oh, right, this is why I'm here, right? Because I forgot about that. Um, and I think... Understanding that there are other people, other community members, other friends who um, are here in support and also who are there uh, for me to have many reunions with kind of made the conference experience overall quite, quite good and quite pleasant. So I guess I'm wondering about those people who are grad students who don't have their community yet, Um who have a community, but they don't happen to be in the same discipline, so they don't go to the, the same conferences, to contract faculty who want to, to have their work out in the world, but then also can't experience conferences in the same way. What, what does reflecting on kind of your experience at, at APSA, what can they take away from it? Yeah, thank you so much for that question. I think that's really important, right? I think it's important to kind of highlight how there's a lot of pre-conference work involved in conferencing. And I think, you know, a few takeaways first, and this is something that Emily uh, Andrew, who is, um, you know, I, I had interviewed her as well. Um, one thing you could do is actually email in advance the people you want to have coffee with, even people who you don't know, right? Um Rachel, who uh, I had interviewed in one of the clips, she did that. And I think she said that in her clip. Like, we did not know each other. She sent me an email. And then we had a coffee. And ever <laughs> since then, we've been conference buds. So number one, you could do that, right? You could look at the program. Um, you could even, if you're slotted into a panel, and if you think that people's papers look interesting and you'd like to continue the conversation, you could even say, hi, does anyone, is anyone up for coffee after this panel? Like, is anyone, you know, up for that? You know, and I think, some people will probably say yes. Um, the second thing um, that I think would be useful takeaways for people is, um, you know, find a conference buddy um, who can attend these events with you and these receptions with you, right? Because even I, as an extrovert, find it really awkward to walk into a room and you're like, 
okay, there's no one. I'm just standing here and there's no one I want to talk to, right? So finding a conference buddy is key. If you can't find a conference buddy, I think you could also ask, if you're comfortable, people in your panel, hey, are you going to the Women of Color reception, right? Um, And, you know, kind of exchanging details that way to see if you can go together. I know it's super awkward because you have to kind of put yourself out there, but um, that's one of the ways through which I know other people have felt comfortable. In fact, that's one of the ways through which I... uh, got to know people at WPSA, right? Western, which I usually go to as well. I just kind of ask people, hey, who's going to the who's going to the reception? And we just all went, even though we didn't really know each other. The third thing I'll say is that another another way to kind of get to know other people and to bolster your networks is to attend the smaller um pre-conference sessions. I don't know if all conferences have these opportunities, but in, in for instance, the interpretive politics community that I'm part of, um, you know, there's, at, at least for the Western Political Science Association, there's usually like a mini conference before the actual conference where we all meet, right? Um, and if there's no mini conference, there's also like um, in different associations, um, different subgroup meetings where you can kind of go and meet other people as well. So there's other opportunities beyond kind of the main conference sessions where you can meet other folks as well. And finally, I mean, I feel like I live half my academic life on Twitter. You could just go on Twitter and, you know, just follow different Twitter folks and and meet people and, and network with people that way, right? But Nisha, as I'm saying this, I recognize that I'm like the extrovert, like listing all of these things. And maybe, maybe that's something, I mean, is this... As, as someone who's, you know, more introverted, I mean, are these tips landing with you? Or are you like, Ethel, no, 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 this is too much. I mean, what <laughs> advice would you suggest, right? Because I'm like, oh, do this, do that, do that. And I, like, do get a lot of energy from interacting with people. So, right. you know, yeah. that's 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 a difference between us as well. So are these tips landing or what other tips would you give for early oh. career and junior scholars? Well, I mean, I think... You know, in some, to some degree, they do land, right? In terms of especially, um, you know, with respect to how to prepare, for example, for the book fair, right? Like how to, you know, prepare in advance for an encounter and to set that encounter up. um, That, I think, is really, really helpful um, because it also demystifies how those encounters don't necessarily organically happen, right? Like they, they, you know, a setup, is often necessary. So that does land. But I, you know, I think as I reflect on my position before and now as I, you know, get older (laughs) in Mm -hmm. um, this field, I also just think about, okay, there's also a moment here for, for those of us who now have those relationships to actively bring people in, Mm. right? And so that might mean... You know, that might mean really, really intentionally being with a junior scholar or a grad student during a conference. You know, I know there was a conference, I can't remember which one it was, where I was alone. But again, Rita, she's everywhere. Rita Damoon, like, really brought me in. Like, Mm. she stayed with me. Um, When I knew that there were probably lots of fabulous people that she could be with, but she chose to be with me. Um, so I think there's something about the responsibility that those of us um, who's, who now feel a little bit more comfortable in our skin um, can, can do to create that for other people. And that also includes like how to mentor students into coming into conferences too, which I think is, is really important. On my end, I just thank you for really like disrupting how we think about conferences too, because I think you've also you've disrupted and maybe in a good way to take a little bit of pressure off that conferences aren't aren't only about that one moment too right Mm -hmm. it's also about what precedes um and then follows from a conference that can really shape um how you enter into the next one so thank you for all of that auntie ethel Thank you, Antonisha, and thanks for kind of listening to the clips and being part of this creative episode of Academic Antis. Truly, truly appreciate it. And also your insights and the way you've kind of highlighted 
that it's important for us to be witnesses. It's important for us to kind of reclaim the space because the space is ours. And also to think of ways to unthink and unlearn uh, some of these harmful norms that we carry with us, including when we attend conferences. So I truly, truly appreciate that. And that's Academic Antis. Thanks to producer Nishanath for joining me. Follow us on Twitter at, at @academicanti and visit academicantis.com/support for all of the ways to support our pod. Today's episode of Academic Antis was hosted by me, Dr. Ethel Tungohan, and produced by myself, Wayne Chu, and Dr. Nisha Nath. Tune in next time when we talk to more Academic Antis. Until then, take care, be kind to yourself, and don't be an asshole.